experienced at navigating challenges and navigating harm in a way that doesn't rely on the police. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that um, in the university context. Um, so I think that's really important for us. We, um, our program benefits from a lot of partnerships that we have on campus. So we do consider ourselves a big part of the campus community. And it, I've been in this role for two years and it took that two years for me to see the importance of you know, working in partnership with campus, um, different departments um, and administrators on campus. And I think so part of the challenge for us in um, this work, and I should say Underground Scholars is not an explicitly abolitionist organization. We are, we're in deep conversation with our members around what, whether or not that is a value that we wanna claim um, as, a, as part of a process of determining our values in general, because we're a newer organization and haven't really done that yet. Um, but we do definitely value a critical analysis when it comes to whether we engage with the police or law enforcement and how. Um, so I think, you know, having these, um, these conversations with our campus partners is going to be really important to us. So Underground Scholars works with, like, for example, the Office of Undergraduate Admissions. They've been one of our strongest supporters in making sure that UC Berkeley is accessible to formerly incarcerated people. So as we're deepening um, our um, engagement, and we have not been engaged too deeply with the UC FTP campaign, and um, we intend to be, part of our engagement in that is going to be going to our campus partners, like the Office of Undergraduate Admissions, the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and asking them to really engage with this question of um, removing cops from campus. It shouldn't be the activists and the organizers that are engaging with this question. We want to take this conversation to our partners and really ask them, like, objectively look at what the, the role that the police have served on our campus. And I think what Eric is saying um, is really on point in terms of a lot of time the police are there to protect the campus and those institutions and properties from the communities that we've imposed ourselves in. And um, a lot of times our students come from those communities. And a lot of times our students were stopped by UCPD before they were students. And a lot of times they're still stopped by UCPD while they're students constantly asked for their um, identification, constantly asked to prove that they have a legitimate place on campus. Um, and we really want our partners that work with us that, that are invested in the success of underground scholars and the students that we serve to really critically en engage with these questions as well. Um, really think about do cops keep us more safe? Really think about what does keep us safe? Most people, if they really um, engage with the question of what keeps us safe, there's usually not a police officer present in the times and the spaces that people feel most safe. And those are the conversations that we want our campus partners to have. And then look at it from a budget perspective too. All of our um, departments on campus are stretched um, right now in terms of like budget. Um, the, you know, the UC is asking uh, staff to voluntarily like take these packages and leave. Why is that happening before we have a UC-wide critical examination of whether or not we even need police departments on these campuses that are largely empty right now? Um, so for us, it's a lot of um, the community building around this is gonna be asking our partners and the folks that we're in community with already to support us by having these conversations and really getting involved in the conversation and hopefully the movement to really abolish um, UCPD. Right, uh, so got a little bit over time here, and uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Jess for calling in and all the students at CCSF. We'll be back next week, and uh, hope everyone has a has an all right week, and uh, we'll all do what we can. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm just going to continue to play this uh, on our way out. Uh,
have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for that, Azadeh. And I really appreciate the um, kind of um, frankness about sort of what it means as an organization to be in dis deep discussions about um, building an abolitionist um, lens into the work. So I, I, I'm excited to hear that. Um, and I also just also appreciate the point about the financial audit on my campus. We just did an audit and you know, we're spending on a commuter campus about $2 million a year on policing. And to, to contrast that with um, like less than $400,000 a year on uh, mental health services and counseling on my campus. So I think that those, um, especially in this moment of sort of um, uh, um, engineered austerity, I think really um, one helpful tool in our toolkit, not the, not the only tool, but a helpful tool. So building on that um, and also building back from um, what Beth had introduced about some great examples of the ways that the university tries to sort of co-opt or um, engage our reforms. I'm just turning to um, Paula um, to ask um, for, for a more extensive discussion about some of the pitfalls and dangers of organizing to defund the police that might lead to sort of reformist solutions. Um, um, if you can share from your organizing in Austin and your sort of long history of doing organizing work, um, that would be relevant to both the discussion that we're having here, which is um, really kind of centering the campus, but also reminding us as Azadeh and um, other folks have about that campus is not um, in isolation of, of community. Paola, I was muted too. I was muted too. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, first of all, yes, I also want to answer that question, but first say thank you. Thank you, like others have said, for those of you that did all the work to put this together. Thank you, Fletcher, for inviting me in and for all the things happening behind the scenes so that we can be here. Um, I'm lucky to get to answer after hearing the other panelists because I think they each brought up such important pieces that, that I want to kind of weave together a little bit, but I think some of the pitfalls um, have to do with what is this uh, analysis of the deeper logic behind policing. So what I've seen locally is for years, there's people who've been working uh, around police violence, uh, organizing around that, uh, not separate from the work that we've been doing. Um, who now, because of the moment that we're living in, I mean, how do we meet the moment? Um, how do we um, show or meet the courage of our communities, uh, you know, around the country? It opens, it's opened a door for much bigger demands than we've, we've had before in years before for those uh, of us who've been working on uh, kind of dismantling police in different ways, organizing around that. I think what I see happening is that uh, those or those groups who've been working on that that aren't really going deep into understanding the logic of surveillance, policing, and punishment that are cemented in um, to the institution and to all institutions and even in us, right? If if they're not thinking about dismantling that logic, then you know a few years back um, the demands would be to have more body cameras, right? That's how we're gonna solve it. More cops to have more body cameras and that is how we're gonna move this forward where we know that isn't at all gonna move us forward or have them go through sensitivity training, et cetera, right? Those are the things that we saw 
you know, a, a few years ago here in Austin, when we were pushing for defunding and thinking about taking power and resources away from an institution, as opposed to, you know, fixing it here and there and trying to make it nicer, right? Um, what that means for this moment, where now I think there's an opening for us to have bigger, more visionary demands of what we want, um, the, the, that kind of work that's more reformist is calling for, you know, firing, so firing someone in the police department, firing the chief, you know, that being this ultimate demand. I know that happened here for us in Austin, where we're saying, well, sure, we want to fire him. Uh, you know, we don't want him, but it's not like replacing him is going to make things better. Who would we replace him with to make things better? That isn't going to move us forward in any way. So how do we work on really um, seeing the underbelly of the logic of surveillance, policing, and punishment in the institutions? Uh, for us has been thinking about police as not the target, really. And even though we, we've worked on defunding police, but what is police? Police are the kind of heavy-handed armed thugs of a bigger monster, actually, right? And if we look at it that way, that that's what that that's what this is about. The, that's why right now we're focusing on police because of the bigger monster and what police does. Then we could look at the whole monster and we could think about what we would want to replace it with. Um, and so for us, it's really staying connected uh, between what we want and what we're fighting against and making sure that they're always um, interrelated. So I think for me, what I've learned from the past, I, I was a, a youth organizer with Sister to Sister many years ago as a young person where we were fighting against police brutality. And then one day we're like, well, what would we ask? How could it get better? It can't get better. There's nothing to ask for, you know, fight for, what's the point? So then completely pivot to create alternatives to this um, this system is what we did at the time. Um, and I think now what I'm seeing and learning from and wanting to build on is this notion of dual power, which is both at the same time, um, we are challenging the system, right? We're organizing to take power from a system as well as organizing to build power um, in the vision for what we want and how those things are interrelated. So for us here, it's uh, before ever thinking about defunding police, it was a vision of what, what should our city tax money go to? You know, we're all paying this, this uh, city and there's a budget where almost half of it goes to police. Where should that money be going to instead? Um, so I think that if we're grounded in that perspective, both the analysis of the overall logic, but the putting as much energy in the vision, not just the vision and the idea, but the praxis of what it is we're trying to build as we do in what it is we're trying to dismantle, then we can keep kind of the abolitionist frame moving with us as the times are moving and people are moving, but we keep those uh, clear lenses on. Thank you so much, Paula, for bringing those terms such as dual power to the conversation and, you know, just emphasizing how much the analysis and the praxis need to go on like simultaneously, right, hand in hand, um, and for bringing all the years of experience that you've had organizing, you know, against police and 
and and building these alternatives. So I really appreciate um, you being part of this conversation and you being here with us today. Um, and I feel like what you've just shared also links to my next question that I want to um, pose to Eric, because I think that the fact that you brought up the you know the 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 underlying logic of the entire monster. Um, Part of part of what I think it also touches on is this issue of uh, you know gender violence, and so we know that administrators and others. I've heard many other faculty say, "Oh, we need the cops on campus, right, to deal with uh, gender and sexual violence," and that is a kind of one of their favorite excuses or rationales to have police on campus. So I'd like to you know ask Eric, you know, how do you how would you respond to that type of um, logic or excuse? And then in terms of, you know, even what Paula was saying about just like the larger logic, in terms of then at the university, what does transformative justice look like to you in this conversation when we're thinking about the big picture of what the university is doing as part of the larger monster and what, um, how does transformative justice provide a different lens for us to understand um, what is happening within the university and with policing um, as a larger kind of logic that we need to not only analyze but replace just that small question um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was building up. Yeah, no sorry. no it's it's excellent um it's really excellent so before i um begin i guess i want to acknowledge the fact that the university of california is a land-grant institution right and so what that means is it's both on stolen indigenous lands uc berkeley's on ohlone lands and that it also um, holds captive um, remains of indigenous people, right? Um, and I think that we must always begin here with an understanding that settler colonialism, which is among other things, a system of gendered and sexual violence, right? Because it is the very precondition of the university that we're now inhabiting. So I think that that's like where I always try to go back to, to go forward. Um, so more directly to answer your question about the way that the university is using issues of very real issues of gender and sexual violence. So maybe one case study, and it's a case study that we could think about is um, the UCPD's incident reporting. Um, they have like an email and a text system that you constantly, like since I've been sitting here, I've gotten three of them. Um, like don't go to this place on campus because this happened, don't go to this place on campus. Um, and so uh, I was just teaching a, a first year seminar and so it was first year students you know, initial relationship with the system. So they were talking to me about it. And a, a number of them narrated the kind of trauma they experienced when they received the endless onslaught of these reports of sexual violence, among other things, um, and are nearer in campus, uh, on campus. Um, and so we know that re-traumatizing survivors is not a way to challenge the generalized culture of sexual violence, right? It does not decrease instances of harm. So we must ask, what are these systems for, right? Or we might notice how it maintains a culture of fear where the police are, the, are offered as the necessary anecdote to the everywhereness of violence, right? So in other words, our campuses exist within the seeming contradiction of being both a space of intense sexual and gendered violence, and so that's both real, incredibly real, and also produced, which is also hyper-policed and surveilled, right? So the assumed rem remedy of this, so then the police become the kind of res uh, assumed remedy of this imminent threat, right? So it's a closed system. Um, but I guess to this end, I think 
we must refute the logic of the university and restage the very terrain upon which the question is asked. So I think too quickly, the question of preventing or diminishing sexual violence on campuses and everywhere is actually stolen from us and returned via kind of a juridical dead end, right? But if we wanna get free, which I'm sure we all do, which is why we're here, it's a question that we must always hold, right? And I guess the question for me is, do we want the partial mitigation of sexual violence by way of a punitive, retroactive, and always already failed response, right? Or do we want, or do we want sexual violence's abolition? Right? And um, you know, I think that the, holding on to that question and keep returning to it is so important, especially now where everything is becoming so hyper-technocratic. And we literally get that, that question, that demand, that desire stolen from us is ever, you know, it, it continues to be so important for us. And then of course, that's where um, the amazing work of transformative justice comes in um, as experiments oftentimes failed, oftentimes, um, you know, impartial as, um, you know, we're joining together trying to figure out how we can repair harm and also how we can work to prefigure a world in which it is not inevitable. Right? And I know that many people here have much uh, better things to say about transformative justice than I do, so I'll leave it there. Thank you, Eric. Wow. Um, thank you for, you know, just even challenging the ground that um, upon which, you know, these questions be, you know, we come at them in, in a certain type of way. But thank you for reminding us um, how important it is and how thoughtful we need to be when we um, are asking these questions about what we want and what is that vision. And so actually, um, I'm already going to um, just kind of move back to uh, posing to Paula, uh, Paula, another question. Uh, question about um, what uh, do you think that campus-based struggles um, from where, from the, all the work that you've been doing over the years, um, now that we are getting ourselves organized across campuses, um, what do you think uh, we can learn from community-based struggles? Um, and why is it important for us then to extend our work to get cops off campus beyond, right, the campus uh, walls and, and territories. Um, and so how uh, can you help us think about the importance of those coalitions? And um, I'm wondering if you can uh, share from your experience. Thank you. That's a big question. Um, I don't think I, I, I have the, the solution or the answer, um, but some, I guess some thoughts are uh, building on what we're talking about, this idea of the both and, um, kind of the, the as a day's example, I think is so beautiful of uh, how you can be organizing, both pushing the system, making these demands, but at the same time, building community, building uh, a community of care and support and love for folks who are in that and kind of the back and forth and in and out of that. There's like a, a synergy of that, that kind of helps build more momentum, but also energy. Um, and stamina, I would say, for these kind of things, right? Because we're, this is, we're in a moment, right? And it opens up a big wave comes as, as always does in history, uh, as people rise up and then it, it subsides and it, it comes and goes. And so what do, what do we have to develop intentionally to have kind of the, the energy and the stamina for this protracted process that we're in. Um, 
I think for for those I've never done work in a campus setting, but I think that it's harder maybe to do that deeper community building work in in a community that is more uh, temporary. I would I'd say right people are coming for a few years and leaving both students and and uh, faculty maybe staff is the people that are that are most grounded over time in in campuses, um, but if it is to think about uh, looking to always and all, all the work looking to those who are more directly impacted than we are um, and what it is that how we can provide solidarity and support for those folks and kind of centering that in whatever community setting or campus setting that we're in it seems like people are very good at doing that in the campus setting then how do you uh, intersect that with whatever community your campus is plopped into, which is what Beth was talking about, right? Either in an urban setting or a rural setting. Um, if the campus is usually plopped into a community that where there are other humans living who are more directly impacted by state violence, um, how do we build, how do you build um, that solidarity and kind of centering of those communities? So. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know that it's taking uh, a campaign of cops off campus, off a campus into a community uh, as opposed to, or in addition to what are struggles happening in communities or what are um, dynamics happening in communities that are interfacing with the campus and what you can do to build that solidarity. So I think for us, you know, I might have come into this in Austin. I didn't grow up here, you know? I'm living in a city that I, I there's, I'm uh, wanting to support and follow the leadership of those who've been here for multiple generations and whose families are being impacted by the police violence and the displacement, which go hand in hand, right? The, of the monster, the armed thugs or the cops and gentrification displacement is happening at the same time. It's all part of the same puzzle. For us, it's been centering those experiences and not even getting to defunding police until much later because it is what it what is it that people who are most directly impacted are needing um, us to focus on and that's what we focus on meeting people where they're at and over years we've built our way to this but it was in the beginning looking at for us what do people need and people are like housing basic needs there's just basic needs health housing that's what we don't have so to want to think about police brutality was like up the chain of priorities, you know, I just got to eat. And so how do we meet people where they're at? And for us, it was looking at budgeting. Many of you are talking about that, this false uh, notion that there's not enough, scared, there's not enough resources. Well, guess what? There's more than enough resources for everything we want to do. There's way more than enough resources. It's how we're allocating it. So that's what led us to then thinking about policing it. Well, there it is, all that money sitting there, new helicopters, new machinery, new cops, when other people don't have food, other people uh, don't have basics met. And that made an organic real link that can build a wave uh, around this um, that otherwise wouldn't be there because it isn't people's um, priority. So I guess thinking uh, about how, to, how you translate that into the campus setting in each campus, uh, could be one way. Thanks, Paola. As I'm um, rereading these questions, I feel like in one version there, 
asking for um, for similar things in, in, in multiple ways, then I think there's a value in sort of prolifer proliferating our imagination with examples in this moment. But um, this question is really is for Beth, and it's really building on uh, Paola's reference to this sort of strategy of dual power, and also Eric's push to have us sort of, you know, restage the terrain or restage the question or the terrain upon which the questions get asked. But I know from um, you know the campus organizing I've been doing that um, these sort of uh, both hostile and friendly you know questions about sort of the what comes next you know if we get rid of campus top and I'm wondering if there are um, again sort of building you know from Paula's sort of dual power and Eric you know how do we kind of reframe and interrupt that question and sort of get people to start from a different place. I'm wondering if there are any historical or contemporary um, contemporary examples that we can um, um, remind people of or um, turn to to talk about um, community um, safety or um, security infrastructures or even TJ practices and um, that um, not necessarily that we can always just emulate or reproduce on campus but just to spark people's um, imaginative possibilities if you could talk a little bit about what um, what ones that you've noticed that have resonated and had success? Yeah, um, so Erica, I'm gonna start by just saying a little bit about abolition at UIC, which is a formulation student run, run activist, um, amazing organizers. They have a profound uh, radical manifesto. They um, use to guide their work. Um, they work in coalition with other campus groups, uh, the Good Trouble Coalition and a group of black student organizations. Um, they've had several really impactful political education programs um, that are recorded, people can look at. And one of the things that I think distinguishes this work, which I think is a good example, is that the work is embedded in um, discussions about the shoes. It's happening right now. Black students on campus, the questions that have come up around international students and undocumented students, um, the disproportionate health impact of the responses to the COVID pandemic, where we have a medical school on our campus and a teaching hospital, as well as kind of the overall. Um, Kind of questions about the epistemology of education in the field. And I want to um, give particular shout out to an article written by um, Ash Stevens, who's one of our graduate students at UIC. It's called Telling Cops to Get Criminal Justice Degrees Won't End Police Violence. Um, the field is part of the problem. It's a really um, important article to check out it was in these time it was published in, in these times in june um and i think part of what the questions are that our student-led coalition are raising are both questions about cops off campus and how to get, make that happen how to have that reflect abolition work that's happening in the community but also what's the role of all the various kind of supporting uh folks so I think about it for myself, what's my role as a department head or a faculty member, an abolitionist in guiding the work, supporting the work, protecting those who are most vulnerable to the consequences of doing the work, interfacing with senior administrators. And so part of the both and work, the inside outside work, the 
work that Paola described about um, building as well as tearing down, I think if it's about campus, has to really, again, reframe the questions of a campus. Like, what is a campus, right? And it's important, I think, in this discussion to think about there's private universities and public universities, and some, like Eric talked about, land-grant universities. There's urban spaces and then those rural isolated spaces. There's community colleges, elite four-year institutions. And I think the questions are really different in different places. And I think we would be making a mistake if we continue um, to ignore those differences because the risks of kind of reproducing a centeredness or a hierarchy of which campuses we're talking about and what the resources are available um, who the students are. The students are very different on different campuses. Um, and so I, I want to bring all of that into the discussion because I think it's really important. Um, just a few other things that I think about. Um, I wonder what it would look like, again, to engage the community of people who spend part of their time on campuses what state to, to discuss what safety would look like long term so those are the people of course who are on campuses at night and we typically think about like students leaving class at night but they're also people who work all night long on campuses or have to be there first thing in the morning what would safety look like for them and is it a police officer is it a student patrol is it a minimum wage is it uh, a guarantee they'll be protected because they have to go to work during the COVID pandemic. Like, what does safety really look like? Um, it also means for me that we could think about the dormitory. I mean, we're more of a computer a commuter campus, but how can a dorm be thought of as an opportunity for mutual aid, you know, beyond sort of study groups or sharing, you know, textbooks? How could a dorm be a site where we're really thinking about mutual aid, especially because on so many campuses, questions of um, food insecurity are as equally important as what class students get into. And then um, what does it mean to think about really extending our work on campuses to be accountable to the people who need the opportunity of education most? And this is why I have so much honor for underground scholars because it means uh, how do we teach inside prisons? How do we um, collaborate with intellectuals and authors and poets and artists who are um, living behind bars? Erica, sort of like our PNAP work. How do we make sure that people have access to our classes and that our classes mean something to them? Um, how do we not sort of think about trans and queer people, and so we've got that program, or disabled students, and so we've got that center, and immigration issues only when it comes up. How do we really make the university of the people who should own the university? And I think um, it raises lots of questions, more questions, I think, than I'm really answering your question. But again, I think it's the, how do we move uh, um, the academy away from being part of the carceral problem to be a site of potential revolutionary change. And I think 
you know, this teach-in is a part of it. I know the next teach-in is going to raise some of those issues. Um, it's so much more than just, you know, getting um, those alerts to stop. I can't stand them either, Eric, because it's like the same black man in a hoodie who does everything right everywhere, right? And we're just all supposed to be afraid or I don't know how we're supposed to respond. But to me, it's more well, how can we have the university be a site of exciting, amplified, uh, revolutionary work? Um, and I think that it's more than stopping the police cars from cruising around the perimeter of the campus. It's really centering the work that abolition-led student organizers are doing um, and, and building that out. Excellent. I also just want to flag that there, as, as Beth noted, I mean, USC has produced uh, a series of wonderful webinars and we know that across the country right now, um, organizers are producing a range of kinds of toolkits, images, videos, and um, you know, there's also some resources on the CR website. And we're going to be aggregating some of these um, resources to share, just because I think it's a really um, fertile moment for for people to um, be creating political education um, on campuses and in communities. And so, being able to share that, I think, is really important. Uh, and so I want to um, just turn to um, Azadeh and just kind of building, um, building on this conversation and thinking about um, alliances and networks that we should be um, strengthening. Um, so if you could talk a little bit, um, I really appreciated your point earlier about sort of um, trying to work with sort of institutional structures on campus, um, but thinking about other kinds of either likely or unlikely alliances in particular, I always have an interest in organized labor, right? Um, is it, you know, is it worth it? How can, how are we negotiating, or how can we be working with organized labor around abolitionist work? Um, but if you have any suggestions or any examples that you would like to share about um, building and strengthening alliances, thanks. Thank you. Um, so underground scholars has a presence at. Um, almost every undergraduate serving UC institution. Um, so we have uh, seven chapters throughout the UC right now. We have hundreds of formerly incarcerated and system impacted students at the UC. We have nearly 10,000 incarcerated students who are taking UC transferable courses who we wanna see on our campuses in the next couple of years. So this question of whether or not our, our campuses are safe and accessible to our students is a really important one for us. Um, and we have a ton of alliances. We're a very small organization. There's only three staff people that serve formerly incarcerated students throughout the entire UC system. And one of them is brand new, one of them is me, and one of them has two other full-time jobs at the UC. Um, so again, we really de uh, depend on our alliances with um, other organizations. And I think one of the things that has been really clear to us in the past year, because we have our statewide collective of leaders has really been engaging in this question of how and when we engage or disengage with law enforcement in higher ed and reentry spaces, mainly because of the way that Alameda County probation has tried to imp impose themselves in our spaces and force partnerships with underground scholars that have not been welcome. Um, and so our, our group has been really like engaging with these questions. Um, and there will be a statement or a position paper released by the students hopefully later this week that um, kind of lays out some of the values and agreements that we've come to around these things. So I encourage people to check that out. It will be up on our website. Um, so a lot of it has been really 
thinking about what does it mean to be an ally? An ally is not a title. An ally is a practice. Allyship is a practice. So for us, like determining how we build alliances or whether we build alliances comes in the practice of our work. So at UC Berkeley, um, in the practice of serving our students, I've learned that the Basic Needs Center and the Path to Care Center are very, very good allies for dealing with harm um, and you know, helping students meet their basic needs without relying on the police. Um, there was an instance a couple months ago when one of our students was in severe crisis um, and we needed to get some mental health um, practitioners there on site to support him. And myself and a social worker from the Basic Needs Center spent all day trying to figure out how do we get the student support without involving the police. It was a complete waste of our time that there was no mental health support available that would come without police. In the end, four UCPD officers showed up to, um, do a site check before the mental health practitioner went in um, and they stayed there for over an hour they had no role they hadn't the, the person i told them before they got there the person is very calm he's not there's nothing that requires police presence here don't come they came um so not only was myself and the social workers time wasted trying to figure out how to get a response without the police in the end they came anyway and they just stood around four police officers um, meanwhile, we're struggling to figure out how to help our students meet their basic needs and how, they're, how they can be successful. But through that process, I learned that the Basic Needs Center is a good ally when it comes to helping students meet their needs and address harm without relying on police. Same with Path to Care Center. It's through the partnership of working with them and seeing that they're um, survivor-centered in their approach in dealing with sexual um, violence and domestic violence. Um, and our students have had really good experiences with them going to them and working with them, um, even when they've made it clear that they don't want police involved. So we consider them good allies and we will continue to work with them on strengthening those alliances. There's been other um, organizations that we work closely with that we consider allies that you know, have told me to call 911 when our students were in distress. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't consider them allies, but it means that we need to engage in a process with them to have them prove their allyship. And maybe if we don't agree on, um, you know, whether or not our students are safe when we call 911 when they're in crisis, maybe that's not an ally if we don't agree on that. And there have been, um, you know, situations over the past year where underground scholars have removed ourselves from partnerships and from coalitions because those coalitions and those partnerships seemed way more um, committed to maintaining relationships with law enforcement agencies that fund them rather than you know making decisions that are based on the safety and the best interest of our students so i think um, you know building allyship is a process of again meeting people where they're at struggling through differences trying to like reach common understanding trying to enhance each other's understanding and I think when people make it clear or organization systems make it clear that they're not our allies, we have to alienate them and we have to deal with them accordingly. And for us, that's been a question because a lot of other programs that are serving formerly incarcerated people have proven themselves not to be allies to us in those spaces and we're unapologetic about not working with them. Not that we won't serve their students, we're still, we just hire their students directly to represent our program and work with them rather than working with the program itself. Um, so for us, that's been a big thing, just um, being strong in our principles, knowing what our principles are, and then challenging our allies to kind of rise to meet us where we're at, um, given that we're willing to engage in this, in this process of struggle and understanding with them. 
Thank you so much, um, Azadeh. A couple of the things that you brought up really um, makes me want to just uh, kind of pose a couple more questions, not just to you, but to every panelist here. We've had some great um, questions come through the, the Q&A um, portal. And um, I want to just kind of go back to what you touched upon, um, whereby if we're trying to do this work, the kind of dual power work that you know Paula has uh, you know spoken of, within a place like the campus where we have all these quote unquote policies, for example, I also just recently did a mental health, you know, how do you support students having mental distress? And they told us, oh, you know, at a certain point you're supposed to call 911. And we know that that's not going to be a good solution. Um, so having to navigate with, you know, those policies that are already in place when we are quote unquote still like employees of the university, when we completely politically or ideologically disagree with the so-called policies that they, they want us to uphold is I think a really tricky thing that all of us who are working, you know, on campuses are having to negotiate, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. So I kind of want to just raise that as a kind of practical question for the panelists that are here today. Um, and it kind of segues into another question that has been raised um, for the panelists uh, and for all of us to think about the fact that um, at UC Santa Barbara, this is coming through um, as one of the questions, there have been several right sexual harassment uh, suits against the, the, the police there um, and nothing is being done. Um, and so what are the next steps that can be taken because we know that the legal system right is not going to bring us the justice and the kind of um, uh, results that we want or the, it's not going to help us build the kind you know society that we that we need or the kind of safety we need so posing the fact that you know we have this that the monstrous infrastructure still in place that we're trying to dismantle and you know we know that administrators are just going to say like you know call 911 that's basically what you know they that's their go to so i would just like to pose that question to all the all of the panelists and then in the remaining time also invite panelists to pose questions to each other as erica and i try to also work through uh, the re the remaining questions that have come through in the q and a portal so if we can just start there, um, I will invite any of uh, any of you panelists to kind of respond to that. Thank you. Well, I'll say something um, to the. I'll, I'll just say that I I don't know the answer <laughs> to the question about how do we stay in our how do we stay in these institutions for one thing how do we stay for so long. And then, because we do, some of us, I have, how do we use our privilege in the best way that we can to support something that really is kind of antithetical, like fundamentally in opposition to the work of the institution? And do that in a way that doesn't reinscribe some kind of um, power how is form is perform how is it not perpetuating you know so so those are kind of questions that i ask myself a lot in relationship to this work um and i come up with kind of the same answers all the time if we're going to stay here um 
how do we make sure that we um, maintain a commitment to trying to do as much abolition inside as is possible? And how do we think when there's that we've reached the limit that we keep that we go further, right? That we are expansive in what we are willing to imagine is an abolitionist university. And, and it means like pushing and pushing and pushing over and over and over again, and not accepting the limits that seem to be um, pervasive. That's one thing. Then how do we make sure that our partnerships with people outside of the university are authentic, real, resourced, um, that we're accountable to them, and so it's also kind of maintaining for me a relationship outside, a set of relationships outside of the university that keep me pushing hard when I'm in the university. And, you know, we say in the university, but not of the university. And I do want to lift up the example that I'm influenced by at the University of Chicago right now that I think Kathy Cohen may have talked about on the previous seminar uh, teaching about um, hashtag more than diversity, where faculty have basically gone on strike and said, we will not participate in any of the kind of window dressing kind of diversity work until there's radical change around anti-blackness of the University of Chicago. And you know, it means that all the committees, all the review of fellowship applications, all that work that we do as if we're trying to color it up and make it better, will stop. And we won't participate kind of in our, in our own um, undermining, right? And, and we'll instead take a radical position. That works at some universities. It's not going to work at every university. Um, some faculty are more on board than others. I noticed in one of the questions, what do you do with people who aren't, who are paid by the university and believe that there should be more police on our campuses, right? So it's also figuring out who your allies are. Thank you for bringing up allies and who they aren't. Um, for me, it's a constant question of accountability around doing abolitionist imagination in the spaces that we find ourselves and redoubling that effort over and over again. And you know, that's kind of a personal answer for me, but I think it again suggests that we, since we're here, what are we doing while we're here? And how do we make it the best that it can possibly be? Thank you, Beth. Do any of you other panelists want to uh, follow up? We have about uh, 15 minutes left of this uh, conversation. I'll zoom. Okay, I'll say something really quick. Um, yeah, I really love what Beth was just saying as a day as well about um, continuing to push, right? I think, you know, abolition is a, is a constant struggle. It really is. There is no um, definitive space that we might reach. Um, and so I think that that's really important. I think also for me, and it seems like it's kind of going into, into that version is, um, you know, de-exceptionalizing the university itself, right? It's, fundamentally where we work you know it's 
it's not the only place that we exist. It's not our only community. It's an important one. It builds worlds. It also destroys worlds. It does a whole lot of other things. You know, it's, you know, and, and I think for me, um, you know, sometimes shrinking the presence that it has in all of our, in all of our organizing lives and the way that we conceptualize what we're actually doing, right? Because all of us are doing lots of things outside of this space, right? It's just one amongst many. And so I think, um, you know, for me, kind of um, re-entering that into the question, because the university always wants to be in a hyper exceptional space that is somehow above everything else and outside of everything else. So kind of like bringing it back down and being like, oh, that's actually where I go to work. It always seems important. I wanted to uh, build off a little bit of what you were saying, Beth. Um, I, I really feel like that helps expand my perspective. So when you when you talked earlier about a vision for uh, uh, campuses or universities as uh, a place for for movements for revolutionary movement to happen or support, um, I'm from Chile, uh, and I think part of how I how I even have the the cop in my head not so tightly on all the time is that I, I got to grow up in a place that had a moment of complete change of a you know democratically elected socialist uh, uh, government for a blink you know where campuses completely transformed during that period and it was uh, for workers to learn basically that's what all campuses were and people moved offices from over here to over here, changed every, you know, changed and, and did different kinds of classes for, for different folks of different levels of formal education. And that absolutely it's possible, we, you know, it can be done differently. And um, the question that you talked about accountability to others as people have more power in institutions, um, I don't know exactly the answer to that. But I, I have felt that people who get to spend time to think deeply about things, that's what happens in universities while others don't actually, it's not that don't, they don't have as much expansive uh, critical thinking, it's just that it's not built into your time to get to do that, right? So that those that do get that, um, whatever it is that they, they come upon, produce, think about, could be, uh, shared in different formats and so you know i i've learned so much i'm not an academic and um but i've learned so much from friends who are where i'm like i wish instead of a book you could have made that into like a workbook and a video or something you know and for people to get <laughs> like what you're doing such for people to um be able to produce in different ways would be so useful uh and i would say a, a, a parallel um, for what we're doing here in Austin, it, of how in an institution, though, you, you walk that line, um, is that after months and months and months and years actually pushing for uh, taking money from police and putting it into public health and low-income housing and other places, we've pushed on our city for so long and made, you know, big steps. We've doubled our health department budget at one year. You know, each year we've, we've been able to push it along. But this year with the wave of uprisings, you know, we were able to push it much further. And so then our city, the institution, created a reimagining public safety, you know, task force, which is uh, holding $120 million, a big chunk of our police budget, 
in a receipt in a, in a separate account while we supposedly have a process to reimagine public safety and i'm i'm a part of that uh process our organization is a part of that process so that is our first time of working in the institution as opposed to challenging it from the outside and i would say around that the notion that you talked about beth of how to stay grounded and accountable to those on the outside as we push on the inside are some of the things that i think is worth us talking more deeply about i don't know the answers i know for us what we said some of us are are on this task force you know with people in charge of our city that we didn't want the meetings to be private we want the meetings to be public televised anybody can watch it with spanish translation right and it part is to hold ourselves accountable because you become a rep you know for organizations and then you're in these closed doors of power um how do we share power that's what you're talking about you know how do we um as power is gained or accumulated often in individuals on behalf of of groups uh how do we kick that door open and share the power every at every moment that there's any possibility to think about okay how do we make this more open how do we make this more open how do we make this more open and we're experimenting as we go with that um but i think that it's possible to do that it, it it's possible i i do think we're in a moment of possibilities that we haven't had before that we can kind of kick the door open for for these um different modes where um where they it's hard for them to say no with the kind of pressure that we can have in other words so it doesn't exactly translate but maybe in some ways i want to um bring up um some of the language that came um up in some of your comments um in terms of how do you negotiate and challenge right that framework of diversity, equity, inclusion, when we know we don't even want to reproduce the university as it is, right? I think that that framework is bogus because it sucks people into thinking, oh, that the university itself is reformable when we actually don't want to reform it. So I'm just wondering, I mean, as a day since I've known you for also so long, and I'm just wondering like on, you know, in the type of work that you're doing and and all the different kinds of folks that you have that you're dealing with on that day-to-day -day basis from the administrators who potentially could be allies like and, and 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 knowing that they're not necessarily committed to the politics that you're committed to how how do you manage then to kind of be then in and not of and ke while keeping your eye on you know these larger uh political goals um when you know when you're also dealing with you know so many uh, ongoing crises so if you could just maybe uh speak to that a little bit and then um i can ask erica if there are any questions maybe from the q a you want to um bring 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 to, to our panelists thank you i appreciate that question mostly because it challenges me to deeply engage in conversations with admin in ways that i haven't um, so I have I, our program at Berkeley, Berkeley Underground Scholars, sits within the division of equity and inclusion. So when Beth was making those comments, I, all kinds of troubles started stirring in my mind about what I could be um, doing within the division of equity and inclusion because um, I think that approach is like right on. I have 
the first year or so, year, year and a half that I was an employee at the university, I didn't feel um, like I was a part of the university. And I think my experience mirrors like a lot of our students, like they feel like they're physically there, they're students, but we're not, we don't feel like a sense of belonging with the greater community. It just feels like underground scholars and the rest of the university. For me, that's changed a little bit over the past few months because I have seen support from my direct supervisor within the Division of Equity and Inclusion. I mentioned that um, you know we were having issues with the Alameda County Probation who was trying to force us into a partnership and they, the Wendy Still, the Chief of Alameda County Probation ended up writing a letter to the Chancellor of UC Berkeley trying to you know get the Chancellor to force a partnership with us or to get me fired, one of the two. Um, and I was really surprised by the way that the um, leadership in the Division of Equity and Inclusion stood behind me um, and responded to her letter basically saying like they don't have to work with you if they don't want to and this is outside of the scope that they're of the work that they actually want to prioritize. Um, so I thought that was great um, that they responded in that way and there was no like you know, trying to appease them or sugarcoat it or anything. It was just like a very short letter. We're not dealing with you. <laughs> if we ever change our mind, we'll let you know. Um, so I think that's a good um, thing for me to follow up with um, in the conversation with the um, Division of Equity and Inclusion, some of the other folks that are doing, um, you know, um, equity and belonging work at UC Berkeley. And I also think, you know, what Eric said is really important. Like, I really don't see the university as like being that, I mean, it's important, but to me, it's not central to how I move as an organizer or as an advocate. Um, and I don't see myself staying at the university a long time. I said I was going to be in this role for three to five years when I took this position, and that's the clock is ticking on that. But I do want to do as much as I can while I'm here to build the capacity of the university to, you know, respond to these questions of whether or not police belong on our campus. And for us, for underground scholars, as folks will see when we release our statement, um, it's not just a question of UCPD. Our students are in classes where police officers and corrections officers are being invited to guest lecture as experts as if they haven't been part of this genocidal system that has stolen so much from the students that are there supposedly learning from them. So for us, it's, it's about the university's um, you know, research priorities, partnerships with law enforcement, whether or not professors are inviting law enforcement as experts in these spaces, um, that's all a part of it. Um, and I think, you know, the Division of Equity and Inclusion will be hearing from us soon. <laughs> and we hope that they're open to the conversation and that they're, you know, really able to engage with it in a way that is generative and that in a way that is grounded in the well-being of the university and to the students that are there. And I really don't think UCPD is in the best interest of the university, even in what it claims to be and what it claims to stand for. I'm just um, loving all of this um, reminders about the power of learning um, in organizing and in and through organizing, um, whether it's importance um, of ongoing political education or challenging language, the language that the state or institutions gives us to describe our condition, um, whether it's um, building power, you know, and how to build power, what that looks like whether it's how to be accountable um, in our work. So, and I think that those are all tools that I certainly didn't learn you know, from my university-based training, <laughs> but I have learned from participating and learning and unlearning in community-based movements. So I just wanna lift that up here and I'm just so appreciative of that. Um, there's a couple of just questions in the um, chat box that I'll flag and then we are gonna have to wrap up. Um, so uh, maybe we could do just a, 
a round of just closing comments if participants have things that are left unsaid and want to flag. But the um, some of the questions in the chat box are about um, sort of disentangling mental health services um, and healthcare services from the carceral apparatus. And, um, and uh, I think there's some sort of how to get involved questions um, for new faculty and, and students. Um, and there's, um, there's also a question about um, uh, how to think about labor, labor movements and, and um, the intersection of labor movements and this um, kind of work. So I'm just going to throw those three out there and maybe we can do just a, 